0: I want you to take your Bibles or your apps or whatever you read on, and today we're gonna be in Romans chapter 15. Romans 15. Now, uh, as I've been speaking on for the last several weeks, this book that, it's not a book, it's a library. It's got 66 books contained inside of it. And so I recognize that Romans might be kind of hard to find amongst those 66 books. So let me give you some clues on how to locate uh, Romans 15. If you're in a physical Bible, just open up to the table of contents. That's the easiest way to find any book of the Bible. Romans in particular is located in the New Testament. So in the table of contents, you'll see a big section called the New Testament. Romans is the sixth book in. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. So the the sixth book in, you'll find the book of Romans. Go to that page and then flip through till you get to chapter 15. Now today is going to be a little bit of an unusual, a little bit of a different message uh, because I'm going to totally and completely geek out on you. Today, we're gonna be talking about the languages and translations that we find uh, around the Bible, in the Bible, through the Bible. Uh, We've been on this series, The Word, uh, for several weeks now. And this, this whole series is about navigating and understanding God's Word. Understanding how to read and how not to read God's Word so that you can grow in your relationship with Christ through his word, through this amazing library that he's given us. So in light of that, let's go to our theme verse that we've been using every week. Psalm 119, verse 105. It says this, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Uh, the idea here is that God's word is useful for uh, our immediate steps. Uh, so it's like a, a lantern, a, a small light that you would carry, and it illuminates the, the immediate steps in front of you that, that you're navigating, but it's also like a great light, uh, giving light to the path that we have in front of us, like the sun illuminates everything around us during the day. You see, God's word is beneficial and it's useful for for all aspects of our being, for our immediate direction, steps, decisions, uh, 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 lifestyle. Uh, but it's also helpful for understanding the big picture of God's love and his reconciliation to us through Jesus Christ. And so that's why it's important to, to know how to read and, and study this library of books. It's important to know what to do and what not to do so that we know what this light, what this lamp is trying to show us in our lives. So today, We're gonna be talking, as I mentioned, about the languages that are in the Bible and the translations of the Bible that we have today and why it's important to navigate through those and understand them better. But before we go any further, I wanna take a look at today's passage, Romans 15. We're gonna read verses one through six. Now, Romans was written by this guy named Paul. Paul's this amazing uh, missionary. He goes all throughout the Mediterranean world at that time uh, and, and leads people to Christ. Uh, establishes churches, does some really amazing work for the gospel. And he's speaking to the people, the followers of Jesus that are found in the city of Rome. That's why it's called Romans. And and so he writes the Romans, this letter, and chapter 15 is getting close to the end of this letter. And look at what he says in chapter 15, verses one through six. He says, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Now catch what he says in verse four. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope may the god of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with jesus christ that together you may with one voice glorify the god and father of our lord jesus christ Uh, This this passage is just a a beautiful message of encouragement. But one of the ways that Paul encourages the Romans uh, in this passage is to encourage them to pay attention to the instruction and the endurance and the hope that Scripture, that that this library provides. Uh, He encourages us to lean in to God's word and, and look to it for our for our sustenance, for our endurance for our strength for our for our hope, for our instruction, and so it's important for us to lean in and make sure that we 're paying attention uh, to what god 's Word has to tell us that 's why we're doing this series is we want you to pick up this library and read it on a regular basis, but not just read it for the sake of reading but to read it so that you can grow in your connection, your relationship with Jesus himself. So here's the part where I, I, I totally am gonna geek out, I'm totally gonna nerd out on you. I want to talk about the the literature, the languages that are found inside this library. You see, there are many different literary forms that are found throughout the Bible. Uh, For example, a lot of what's contained in this this accounting is what we would call historical narrative. It's uh, recording the events that take place uh, throughout history uh, as recorded in the events around the Israelites and Jesus and the followers of Jesus. Uh, And so, a lot of what we find in in the Bible is simply historical narrative. It's just telling the story, descripting uh, a description of what's happening. Uh, Another literature type uh, found in the Bible is what we call law code. So if you've ever read the first five books of the Bible, uh, uh, Genesis through Deuteronomy, there is a lot of law code. As a matter of fact, there are 613 individual laws given in these five books. Most of them are strict directives to follow in specific situations, Uh, but they also give us hints and clues as to how to handle situations that aren't specifically addressed by these uh, very specific law codes. It it gives us clues of how to handle situations out of the box that that may not be normative. Uh, But law codes are to be applied across the board, no matter what that specific situation may be. And so it gives us an indication of what God's desire is for morality and for quite frankly, crime and punishment and, and an orderly society. So that's law code. Uh, another form of literature that we find in the Bible often is poetry. Uh, especially in the Hebrew Bible, the, the Old Te- what we call the Old Testament, there is so much poetry. I, I mean, Psalms by itself is almost entirely poetry. Now, Hebrew poetry was completely different than what we consider poetry as English speakers. You know, for, for English speakers, poetry is very much about cadence and rhythm and how many syllables are, are in each you know, line of the poem. And then a lot of poetry has to do with, with rhyming patterns, But in Hebrew poetry, uh, it starts, uh, uh, some poems would start with the same letter repeatedly or or would follow the letter progression through the alphabet. Uh, A great example of that is our theme verse for this uh, entire series Psalm 119. If you go and read Psalm 119, every stanza of that psalm. Uh, begins with uh, uh, the corresponding letter from the Hebrew alphabet and it just proceeds through the entire alphabet that way. Uh, Another form of poetry that the Hebrews used was they would use the exact same number of words in every line and that was a poetic rhythm that they would use. Um, You know, it's just different uh, than the way we think of poetry today as English speakers. Uh, The forms of these ancient hebrew poems uh, are as different as a japanese 15th century haiku would be from a uh, 18th century english sonnet if you think back to your english class days or or a modern rap song or or, uh, something like that Uh, you know each form of poetry is unique to that time frame and language and culture and hebrew poetry is different than english poetry Uh, it can all be classified as poetry um, but but when you read poetry poetry is not intended to be written or, or be interpreted in a literal way there's still spiritual truth in it, but they would use words uh, or phrases that aren't meant to be interpreted literally. Uh, Song of Solomon, uh, or Song of Songs, it's sometimes called, depending on your Bible, uh, is a great example of that. The, in Song of Solomon, uh, there are descriptions from one lover to the other. And, and the, the male uh, in the, this relationship would describe the female with these really wild and, and crazy descriptions, like uh, comparing parts of her neck or her eyes to that of an animal's. Um, and of course, that's not meant to be interpreted literally. It's, it's meant to show us the beauty of the language. So I, I could go on and on about this, but poetry is a huge part uh, of the, the Old Testament, especially. And when we read poetry, we need to understand that we're not supposed to be interpreting that poetry literally, literally but we're supposed to be digging into the beauty of what the poem is saying and pulling out the spiritual truths found within that poem. Uh, so another uh, form of literature found in the Bible are what we call wisdom sayings. So Proverbs, for example, is a great example uh, of wisdom sayings. It's just these uh, individual sayings that give us wisdom. But the the cool thing or, or the unique thing about wisdom sayings is they are not meant, like law code, they're not meant to be applied uh, uh, to every single situation. They're not uh, supposed to be uh, strictly adhered to for every single situation. Instead, with wisdom sayings, they are situational pieces of wisdom. Uh, They are instructions that might change depending on the situation that the person finds themselves in. So for example, Proverbs chapter 26, verses four and five. uh, Proverbs 26, four and five says this, answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Verse five, answer a fool according to his folly, lest you be wise in his own eyes. You see these two wisdom sayings are side by side. They're right next to each other, but they literally say opposite things. The first one says, don't answer a fool according to his folly. And the second one says, answer a fool to his folly. The idea being is that we're supposed to look at the situation and apply one of these two wisdom sayings depending on that situation. Uh, So with wisdom sayings, they're not quite as black and white and applicable to every situation. You have to look at the nuance of the situation and understand which wisdom saying to apply to that situation. Uh, so, uh, we, we've talked about historical narrative and law codes and poetry and uh, wisdom sayings. Uh, there are two other things that we really find in the New Testament parables and what we call letters or epistles. Now, parables are stories, especially Jesus would use these. Uh, They are stories that Jesus would tell that had a, a story to it, but that story had a much deeper spiritual meaning. And so when we read a parable from Jesus, we're supposed to read the parable and then unpack the deeper spiritual illustration or analogy or metaphor that Jesus is supposed, is wanting us to understand through the telling of that parable and then letters Uh, you know for example uh, i read you romans uh, chapter 15 1 through 6 at the beginning of this message romans is a letter to a church specifically the church in rome Uh, and there are many letters found throughout our new testament paul writes a lot of them Peter writes some, John writes some. I mean, there's just all of these letters that are written in the New Testament and they are instructions to the church and the followers of Jesus. And so there's a lot of uh, practical advice and good theology that are found throughout these letters or epistles. So let me move on, Uh, but, but let me say, When you're reading through the Bible, pay attention to the literary form that you're reading in that particular passage, because the way that you interpret that passage may depend a little bit on the type of literature that that passage is made up of. Uh, So just pay attention to those things. Uh, One quick thing that's related to uh, the forms of literature is there are also different uh, figures of speech Uh, that are used. A great example is hyperbole. Now hyperbole is an exaggeration that someone would use to get a point across. So a great example uh, of uh, Jesus using a hyperbole is Matthew 5 verse 29. It says this, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. Now, is Jesus instructing us to pluck out our eyes? Of course not. You don't see people in church with their eyes plucked out. That's not what Jesus is meaning. We don't interpret this passage literally We understand that Jesus is using an intentional exaggeration to help us understand the importance, in this passage specifically, the importance uh, of of putting roadblocks in our life to sin. In other words, distancing ourselves from sin or creating uh, ways to not have access to sin in our lives, to remove temptation, to run away from temptation. He never intended this to be interpreted literally. He's wanting us to just understand the importance of avoiding sin and being intentional about avoiding sin. So there are figures of speech that we pay attention to as well. And some of them, uh, figures of speech may create confusion. Uh, phrases, for example, uh, that were important, idioms, uh, to Jesus's or the Old Testament culture that we don't use today. Um, we, we just need to pay attention to those and be able to, to interpret scripture, understanding that there are these phrases or idioms that we may need to dig a little further into. All right, now I want to move past that, and I want to geek out even more and talk to you about the languages. Now, if you're new to God's word, I, you know, we carry around an English translation uh, it's a Bible, and I'm gonna talk about translations at the end of today's uh, message, but we carry around these translations. They uh, are taking the original language and translating it into the language that you speak. Now, the the Bible primarily was written in two languages. There, there are mixes of, of one other, but the Old Testament is almost completely written in the Hebrew language. There's a little Aramaic dropped in here and there throughout the Old Testament, but it's mostly written in Hebrew. And the New Testament is almost exclusively written in Greek, the Greek language. And so I want to show you some interesting aspects of the languages Uh, that that the Bible was originally written in. Uh, And so I'm gonna show you several graphics uh, as we look at a few passages. For example, I'm gonna look at a few words uh, and show you some really cool aspects to it. So in Genesis chapter 16, verse one, we're following the account. Genesis is the first book of the Bible. It tells the story of the early life and and movement towards uh, becoming the nation of Israel. And in chapter 16, we're introduced to this slave girl named Hagar. Now I wanna throw up this graphic of Hagar's name written in the original Hebrew. And if you look at this, uh, let me just point out in Hebrew, one of the unique features to Hebrew that is opposite that of English or Spanish or French or whatever, is that Hebrew uh, is read from right to left, not left to right, like English or Spanish or, or whatever, is so when you look at this graphic when you look at these weird letters you're supposed to read the letters right to left not left to right and so looking at this graphic the first letter there are three letters and then there are these weird markings underneath now the weird markings underneath are vowel sounds Uh, the hebrew language is completely made up of consonants Uh, and so uh, in modern times uh, we 've added these vowel markings so that we can better as English speakers or speakers that don't aren 't native to Hebrew uh, to help us understand how to pronounce these words but I want you to pay attention to these three letters that are kind of right there uh, the the funky looking ones the the different looking ones uh, uh, to the far right is the ha sound the what we would probably use as an H in English. Now the ha in Hebrew was the direct article, the, the word the in English. So ha uh, at the beginning is the. Now the next two letters make the G and the R sounds. So it's ha-gar. And so hagar uh, is the word there. But interesting is that the G and the R in the Hebrew language is actually the word for immigrant in the Hebrew language. And so Hagar's name uh, as an individual, her name is probably not Hagar, but Abraham and Sarah called her Hagar, which literally they're calling her the immigrant because she was an Egyptian servant of Abram and Sarah. So it's interesting to look at this this word, we call her by the name Hagar, but in reality, when Abram and Sarah were saying this, they were using it as a name, but her name literally meant the immigrant. Uh, let me go to, to a passage, Exodus three fifteen. So this is the second book of the Bible. Uh, It's the story of Moses and and how Moses is used by God to free the Israelites from the slavery that they've been in in Egypt for around 400 years. And in Exodus 3, we have an encounter, the first encounter that Moses has with God himself. And so let me read you Exodus 3.15. Moses has asked God, who should I tell the people who's sending me what's your name basically and so exodus 315 god answers and he says this god also said to moses say this to the people of israel the lord the god of your fathers the god of abraham the god of isaac the god of jacob has sent you this is my name forever and thus i am to be remembered throughout all generations now I want you to notice uh, at the beginning of this passage that the word Lord um, is used differently throughout the Bible, especially in the Old Testament. And so I want to throw a graphic up of the way that Lord is used in the, the Old Testament. So at the top of this graphic, you're going to see Lord, and it's spelled out with either a capital L or a lowercase l, but the O-R-D of Lord is always lower Now, when O-R-D of the word Lord is lowercase, it's literally the word for what we would call a master or someone who's superior to us or a supervisor. You know, this is someone saying, giving the title master to someone, you know, oh. Uh, Lord Merle or, or Lord Jones or, or whatever. It's not the name of God. But the second usage there, I want you to notice, you'll see this in your Bible often where the all of the letters are capitalized, but the O-R-D is just shrunk down just a little bit from the L. Uh, and so you'll notice throughout your Bible, anytime the word Lord is in all caps, but the O-R-D is just, a little smaller than the l that is literally the name of god yahweh yahweh and i'm going to show you something here in just a second but i want you to notice every time you're reading the old testament and you see the word lord in all caps you could literally take that word and put in there yahweh so a lot of times Um, God would address someone or someone would speak on God's behalf and they would say, Lord, all caps, the God of Israel uh, or your God. But that's literally in Hebrew saying, Yahweh, the God of Israel or Yahweh, your God. And so every time you see Lord in all caps, just know that's the name of God. That is the word Yahweh. So so let me talk about Yahweh for just a second. I'm gonna throw another graphic up here. This graphic is the word Yahweh. This is the name of God in the original Hebrew language. This is what it looks like. So there are four letters, again, reading this from left to right, not right to left. Reading this left to right, you have that small letter that's kind of hovering above. And then you'll see again that H, it looks like a, uh, you know, maybe a, a, a square with the bottom taken off of it and one notch out of one corner. That's the H sound. Uh, then the next one looks kind of like just a up and down mark with a little curve at the top of it. And then the fourth letter is again that H sound. So the first letter is the Y sound in the Hebrew language. The next letter is the H sound. The third letter is the V, uh, but we've many times uh, through our English and German translations, we've turned that V into a W sound. And then it ends with the fourth letter with that H. So it's Yahweh or Yahweh. And so that's how the Hebrews would have seen the word that was the name of God himself. And so I just wanted to throw this out and show you this beautiful, uh, this beautiful word uh, that is the name of God. Now, I could go all day long talking to you about the name of God, and I may uh, share a video explaining some things about the uniqueness of Uh, the name of God, because the vowels in the name of God have been replaced throughout the years. And so do a Google search, uh, or maybe I'll share a link to an article about this. Uh, But there are some really fascinating things that have been done to the name of God uh, for various reasons throughout history. But this is the name of God. Now, that's some Hebrew that's really fascinating to me. I just wanted you to see the Hebrew language and understand that it operates differently than English. And there are words in our in the Hebrew that don't quite have a true translation into our English. And so some translations, which I'll explain in a minute, will take one Hebrew word and use several English words or an English phrase to describe that word where... Some translations will take that Hebrew word and give it the closest English equivalent that can be found. And again, I'll unpack this here in just a couple more minutes. Next, I wanna talk about words that have been transliterated. Uh, in our Bible. Now, transliterated means that, uh, say you take uh, the, the Hebrew language, there's the H, the, the letter in Hebrew that, that makes an H sound. And so we would assign that letter our English H. Uh, so let me show you an example of a Hebrew word that's been transliterated into English, and that's the word hallelujah. And so there's this graphic up here. Again, you're reading it right to left, not left to right. The first letter is that H sound. And then you can go through those those two big matching ones that are really long. Those are uh, like the L sound in Hebrew. Um, And and you can see some other letters there. This is hallelujah. Uh, And so we sing this in our songs, but this Hebrew uh, is actually a word in Hebrew. And this word literally means Praise Yahweh. Now, many times when they would attach Yah at the end of a Hebrew word, it was a shortened version of Yahweh. And it so literally means praise Yahweh, praise Yah. Uh, so anytime in Hebrew that you hear a name or a word that ends in Yah or Ah, a lot of times that means Yahweh. Uh, or if a Hebrew word ends in the letters E-L, it, L is the Hebrew word for God. And so many times like Daniel, Daniel ends in E-L and the, the meaning to Daniel's name has the word God in it. But this is hallelujah. So when you're singing the word hallelujah in a hymn or a praise song, you're literally saying praise the Lord. That's the Hebrew word for praise Yahweh. So let me move to another one. Now let's move into the Greek language that's found in the New Testament. So I'm throwing a graphic up for the word deacon. So here's deacon, transliterated. It's not a word that truly exists in English. It's a Greek word. Now, Greek is... To be read the same way English is, from left to right. So the first letter there, you know, it kind of looks like a D, um, and then the whole word actually spells out the Greek word diaconos, and, and so diaconos is the literally the word for servant. Um, it, it's not a special uh, word uh, in the Greek language; it's just what we would call a servant, and, and so. Deacon is a title that we use in uh, churches a lot of times, like a formal office. But in reality, the understanding in the early church that spoke the Greek language, a deacon was simply an intentional recognized servant. So today, in actuality, uh, a deacon would be the same as like a minister, uh, someone who is intentionally ministering or doing something purposeful in the church so if there's somebody that's caring for widows for example which was something that the deacons of the early church did someone who's caring for a widow whether male or female would have been called a deacon they would be a servant that is serving the widows of that church okay let me give you one more greek Uh, this one is the word that we translate in our bibles as apostle Now, apostle, that word has a lot of controversy amongst uh, Bible colleges and seminaries. Like, how do we use this word? Because apostle here, uh, you see the first letter looks kind of like an A. Uh, Well, the word there is actually apostolos. uh, And we've transliterated it to our English apostle. Now, apostolos does not mean something special, it just simply means someone who is sent or someone who is sent out. And so an apostle in modern uh, English translation uh, is less of like a title and much more of like a missionary or a church planter that is sent out by a church to plant a church or, or do ministry to a specific group of people that's not necessarily in that church. Uh, And so for example, we support several missionaries around the world. We could rightly, uh, biblically call our missionaries that we support and we have sent out, we could call them apostles because they have been sent out from this church, First Scottsdale, out into the world around us. And so apostle is another word that was transliterated letter by letter into an English word But it actually means something else than the way we read it sometimes in our English translations. So let me now move to translations and this idea uh, of why we have translations and and what we do with them. So we've got all these translations of the English Bible. Which one do we use? What do we recommend? Well, well, let me explain first off why we have all these translations. Uh, There's different values, different goals that different translations have. Uh, so some translations uh, try to paraphrase uh, the original language. So they'll take like a Old Testament Hebrew statement and rather than you know, translating word for word, they'll read the sentence in Hebrew and say, uh, this is what it's saying. And they will translate it based off of the idea that's being brought across. So that's one extreme, uh, this paraphrase version. The other end is a word-for-word translation. So they would take a Hebrew word or the Greek word and they would find the English word that is equivalent to that. And they there would be a word-for-word translation of the original language into whatever word there or whatever language they're translating it in, in our case, English. Uh, and so the idea being is there are these two extremes really paraphrased and extreme word for word. And then there are translations that are kind of a mesh of both of them. And so I want to explain to you and just give you a few translations that I recommend and explain where they fall on this spectrum of paraphrase uh, on one end and word for word on the other. So uh, I'm going to throw up these these uh, five different um, versions, translations of the Bible. New Living Translation leans far more into the paraphrase. And I want you to notice a progression here. Uh, we're starting with the far end of the paraphrase that I would recommend. There are versions of the Bible, translations of the Bible, that are paraphrased even more than the Living Translation. And I don't really recommend them. A lot of times there's too much interpretation uh, and kind of playing around with it that may not convey the original intent of the author. Uh, So I recommend the New Living Translation specifically for like children or someone who's really new in their faith and they're just learning it from scratch. New Living Translation is a great translation for for someone like that. Uh, One step further towards like the word-to-word translation, one step closer to that would be the new international version, the NIV. The NIV is still paraphrase, but it's a little stronger in making sure that it aligns with the original wording of the original language. It's just a, a little closer to that word for word, but it's still paraphrase. Uh, New Living, I would recommend this to people, uh, maybe teenagers, uh, who, are, who are ready to take that next step in their faith uh, in studying maybe a little deeper, studying a little more uh, deeper theology and, and things like that. Uh, NIV is great for that. The next one would be the Christian Standard Bible, the CSB. Now, Christian Standard, I really like this particular translation. It is a beautiful mixing uh, of paraphrase and word for word. They tried to, the translators tried to be as true to the word to word translation, while at the same time recognizing that there are some Hebrew and Greek words that really don't have an English word to coincide with them so they would be a little more intentional about using a phrase or a few English words to translate that one Hebrew or Greek word. Uh, It's a beautiful melding uh, of these two Uh, uh, ideologies of paraphrase and word-for-word on both extremes. So CSB, the Christian Standard Bible, I would recommend this one to anyone. They've got an excellent study Bible uh, that you can go buy that gives you great introductions to each book of the Bible. They give you a lot of notes on how to understand passages and what the intent behind them are. Uh, So CSB, I would recommend to anyone and everyone, just for regular, everyday reading and studying. Now the last two versions are way more closer to the word-to-word translating. That's the English Standard, which we use here at the church, uh, and the New American Standard Bible. Now both of them are very similar. Uh, there, there's not a whole lot of differences. Um, the English standard um, is a little more word for word uh, depending on the passage. And then the NASB, the New American Standard, is a little more word for word depending on the uh, verse that you're reading. They're both great translations. I personally study from the ESV and the ESV and NASB both have Excellent study Bibles. Again, uh, get a good study Bible. I'm going to talk about this next week. Uh, but but looking at these different versions, find what works for you best. You know, if you're brand new or, or if you have a child, go with the New Living Translation. If you've been a believer for a little while or maybe you're a teenager, go with the New American or the CSB. If you've been a believer for a long time, but maybe the ESV and the NASB, maybe they're a little clunky to try and read, go with the Christian standard version. Um, Just find which one works for you. But again, as I mentioned a few weeks ago, I would highly recommend to get a good study version of any of these Bibles. Let me wrap this up. What's the point in all this? Why am I unpacking all of these things? The whole point is to read your Bible. Be intentional, set time aside every day to read your Bible and find what works for you. Now in saying that, I want to tell you next week, I'm going to conclude this message series and we're going to talk about what resources are out there to help you and good habits uh, to practice when reading your Bible, where to start, how to start, all those kinds of things. I'm going to give you resources if you've been studying the Bible for a long time, how to take your Bible study maybe to the next level. So so join us next week for that uh, series. Will you join me in prayer as we conclude this morning? Almighty God, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word, for this Bible, this library that you've given us that shows us how to live, that directs our path, lights the entire pathway. Uh, Lord, help us to develop a habit of being students of your word, reading it, meditating on it, studying it in depth, Use this word to transform our lives. As Hebrews 4 says, it's living and active uh, and it cuts through dividing and helping us to see truth from non-truth. So Lord, help us to be people of your word. We thank you, Lord, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.